Heavenly Father, it is your greatness that we gather here today for. Uh, it is our worship and it is our desire and it is our hearts that we lift you up in every single way. It is not uh, the work of our own hands that we get together to celebrate. It is your completed work uh, on the cross and in the empty tomb that gives us reason for celebration and that gives us uh, the hope and the confidence in this life. And so, Lord, we ask that you bless our time this morning as we worship you. Lord, we ask that you bless uh, the church universal. We ask that you bless the church uh, here in Kerrville. And in particular, Lord, we ask that you be with Kerrville Bible Church this morning with Pastor McKnight, uh, that you would give him the, the gift of preaching this morning. I ask the same for me. Lord, let all of us who stand up today to preach the gospel honor your word and honor your sacrifice in the things that we say, Lord. Guide us, uh, light a fire in us, let us be the people that you've called us to be. And it's in the name of the resurrected Jesus that we pray. Amen. Well, it is good to be with you this morning. Uh, I want to thank Stephen for taking care of things last week while I was gone for just a little bit. I know uh, uh, he said some very nice things, but I'm still hurting that he made fun of me with the uh, laser pointer. I think that's because he wanted a laser pointer and he didn't get one. That's what I think that is. Um, but I'm trying to find some lessons where I get to use the laser pointer more, uh, but today's not one of them. Uh, I've, I've been told by my wife that I probably can't be trusted with that. Like I said, I, there's a few of you would like to point out maybe if you go to sleep or something like that, and that's probably not what I should be doing. So I'm not going to do that. Uh, it's such a blessing to have uh, someone like Stephen Johnson to be able to, to come and bring the word here. What a, what a blessing and how blessed are we to have someone who honors the word the way that he does uh, be able to preach. Uh, so I'm thankful for that. He mentioned about waiting last week. That was a big part. Uh, this, this idea that you have this resurrected Jesus, you have this mission that's given to his people, and then they're in this waiting spot. And uh, I started off even calling this sermon today the waiting room because what we're going to do is we're going to move into Acts 2. I know you're surprised by that, but we're already going to move into Acts 2. And, uh, and there we're going to find the disciples in this room. But I, I wanted to change it from the waiting room to something that's going to happen today. Uh, and so we're going to call it the delivery room. Because what happens today is the birth of the church. Uh, as you move into Acts 2, you get to start in the birth of a church. The church that Christ built. His church that's going to operate in this new way. And so while you have this waiting that's going on with the disciples, they don't realize they're in the room right before the delivery room. And I don't know about you, I remember when my wife was giving birth to our first child, you go into this one room and you're in there, that, that labor room, right? Where you're in there. And I remember being amazed watching my wife uh, go through this labor. I, I could watch the little uh, readout where it would show the needle on what's happening with her contractions. And uh, that's always great to call that out because you go, oh, here comes a big one. And she really loved that when I'd let her know. <laughs> here, oh, here it comes. Here comes. Do you feel that? You feel, yeah, I feel that. You know, that sort of thing that you get to do. And, and so we get to have that time there. And then before you know it, as things progress, while you wait and while she labors, there will come a time where they go, we're moving you into the other room. And now you're going into the other room or that room goes from the waiting and laboring room to the delivery room and it's time and that's where your family's about to expand things are about to increase you're about to to uh, have an addition that you don't know about and I don't know about you but it was a big deal for us one of the things we wanted to do was not find out if we were having boys or girls so there was this uh, anticipation for us of when the child was born to go what is it what is it 
You know, we should have uh, asked, is it a boy or a girl? Instead of what is it, that leaves a lot open is what it is. It was a baby, a uh, human baby. Uh, but, uh, and, and for it to be a girl, you know, for them to go, it's a girl. And then you have this great sense of rejoicing and celebration at what was given birth to. And so today what we're going to be doing is we're going to be talking about this time uh, that they're waiting and then this birth of the church that happens and what they had. And did they know what they had? Was there a time where they're going, okay, it's here now. Now what is it? And I think it's really important for us to take a look at that and to see. And in particular, as a church, we're going through a process where we're trying to find out, hey, what are we supposed to be? What, what is God calling us to? And so this waiting that happened with them is to go, God is going to reveal himself. God's going to do something. He's given us uh, an assignment. He's told us what we need to be, but we're waiting for him to reveal himself in this new way and for this church to be born. And that's kind of what we're doing is for us to be born into such a way that we're fulfilling the call that God's given us. So while we wait, while we pray, while we listen, uh, we're in this place right now. In particular, today we're going to be in Acts 2, verses 1 through 4. And in particular, it's the day of Pentecost. And uh, several of you know about this. We're going to spend a lot of time on what Pentecost is and what's going on at this time. One of the things you need to know is Pentecost is a Greek word, and basically what it means is 50. It means 50 days. And so it's 50 days after Passover. So Passover has happened, and then 50 days later comes this day of Pentecost. And in Acts 2, verses 1 through 4, this is what the Scripture says. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, that waiting room that's about to become a delivery room. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. This is where it happened. This is where the birth of the church took place at this time. And you need to know that this day of Pentecost really has a ton of history behind it. It's really important. And we can't even get into all that it meant. But you need to know there's a good reason why God decided to have the birth of his church right here on this day. It really matters a lot. Because at 50 days after Passover, you need to remember, Passover 50 days earlier was when the Lamb of God was when Jesus was crucified. And so 50 days later, they're back in Jerusalem. And you need to know that this day of Pentecost was witnessed and the birth of the church was witnessed because of all of the people that would have come back to Jerusalem during this time. God knows what he's doing in this time, right? The death of Jesus took place as a great spectacle in front of tens of thousands of people because they were there for Passover. Now the birth of the church is going to take place because of Pentecost because tens of thousands of people are going to be back in Jerusalem again. One of the things that happened is this is one of the festivals and one of the important days where you're supposed to come and present yourself to the temple it's an ancient day. So what you have is all these people coming in during this time. And so the Lord knows what he's doing with this, to have the birth of the church happen when there's so many people around to see it. Right? I mean, for us, it would be like if they decided to do this here on uh, April 8th coming up, right, where, when the eclipse is happening here. That's the time. If you wanted to do something big and you wanted a lot of people to see it, April 8th is the day. Because my understanding is when this eclipse happens, there's supposed to be like 200,000 people 
come into I, I have no idea if that's going to happen. I have no idea why a quarter of a million people would come in here to stare up at the sun. But my understanding is that's what's going to happen during that time. And that would be the time. If you wanted to make a big spectacle, if you wanted for people to see this, if you wanted to announce something new that's going to be happening, that would be the day for us to do it right now. But you need to know for the day of Pentecost at this time, you had Jewish believers coming from all over the world into Jerusalem. You see, they'd been scattered. They'd been scattered over centuries of what had happened to them. Everything from being carried into exile, of being conquered by the Romans. There's people that are from everywhere that are believers, and they all come to Jerusalem during this time. And this is the time that we're going to see the birth of the church. Now, Pentecost, like I said, is a Greek word that means 50, but really what it's known to the Jews by is, is actually the festival of weeks. That's something that came from the Old Testament. There's this festival of weeks, and it was something that was given to Moses and the Jews right after they came out of uh, slavery in Egypt, and they come out into the wilderness, and there was this 50 days after they had the original Passover, Right? The Passover where what they did was, was one of the plagues and they put the blood of the lamb over the door and then they left Egypt because of that. And as they left, they went to Mount Sinai and 50 days later, the Lord gave his word. He appeared and came and he gave the word. He gave the word to his people. So 50 days after the uh, Passover, the Lord gives his word to his people. And that word is Shavuot is the way that they would talk about that holiday. In Hebrew, it was called Shavuot. It was the giving of the law or the word of God. And in Greek, it's called Pentecost. Let me tell you about what it looked like in the time of Moses. Here's what they were told to do in Leviticus 23, 15 through 22. This is how this was enacted, this day of Pentecost and this festival of weeks. From the day after the Sabbath, the day you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, count off seven full weeks Count off 50 days up to the day after the seventh Sabbath. And then present an offering of new grain to the Lord. From wherever you live, bring two loaves made of two-tenths of an aphah of the finest flour baked with yeast as a wave offering of first fruits to the Lord. Present with this bread seven male lambs, each a year old and without defect, one young bull and two rams. They will be a burnt offering to the Lord, together with the grain offerings and drink offerings, a food offering, an aroma pleasing to the Lord. Then sacrifice one male goat for a sin offering, and two lambs, each a year old, for a fellowship offering. The priest is to wave the two lambs before the Lord as a wave offering, together with the bread of the first fruits. They are a sacred offering to the Lord for the priest. On that same day, you are to proclaim a sacred assembly and do no regular work. This is to be a lasting ordinance for the generations to come wherever you live. This is how they enacted what's called the Festival of the Weeks. And it was something that stayed with the Jews up until the time of Jesus. And that's where Pentecost lands, is right in the middle of this time. And now here's the part that's going to be hard today. We're going to do a little math, but you need to know, if you just know your multiplication tables of seven, it's going to work really well. Because the idea here was there's seven weeks, there's seven Sabbaths. So count off seven full weeks, seven times seven is 49, and then the next day is the 50th day, Pentecost. And this is what you're supposed to do on that. Commemorate the giving of the word. Remember the harvest that you have, gathering together what the Lord has provided. Do an offering for the harvest, do an offering for sin, do an offering for fellowship, and one for the priests. 
And then on that day, you have a sacred assembly and you do no work. So it's kind of like a Sabbath. And that's the part that we're going to get into, is this teaching that comes over and over and over through God and his chosen people, is this relationship between Sabbath and harvest. And that's what we're going to be looking at today, because on Pentecost, it all comes to fruition. This idea, Sabbath, which is rest, and harvest, which is when we gather what God has provided. You will harvest what you have not labored and you will harvest what I have provided. That is a lesson that the Lord keeps trying to make sure we understand. From the ancient of days back there with Moses and his people, all throughout history, he keeps putting this relationship together. Rest and then harvest. Rest and then harvest. What he's trying to teach them is you're going to harvest something that I provided. Not you. You're going to harvest what I have provided. Let me show you something about this and how this lesson starts. As a matter of fact, it starts with the first Sabbath that he talks about in Exodus 16, 29 through 31. This is when they first enacted the idea of every seven days you're going to have a Sabbath where you're not going to work. This is verse 29. Bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. That is why on the sixth day he gives you bread for two days. Everyone is to stay where they are on the seventh day. No one is to go out. So the people rested on the seventh day. The people of Israel called the bread that they gathered manna. And it was white like coriander seen, and it tasted like wafers made with honey. So this is when they first enacted the Sabbath that God gave to his people. And one of the things that he said is, here's what I want you to do. I want you to work six days. On the seventh day, I don't want you to work. But you need to understand, for people that came out of slavery, where all they were is a means for produce, your production is what matters. You make bricks. You make enough to make sure that you're making your masters happy. You are what you produce. And now what he's doing is pulling them out and goes, here's the deal. For six days you're going to work. On the seventh day you're not going to work. And their first question had to be, then how are we going to eat? Because we only eat what we provide and what we produce. And you have God going, I'm going to show you a new way now. Every seven days, what I want you to do is you're going to gather enough on the sixth day to where you will be fine on the seventh day. And then we'll start the week all over again. In other words, I will provide enough for you to gather for two days on the sixth day. I provide for you. And you will have enough. You will rely on me for your survival. This idea, Sabbath and harvest. You will rest on a day. What will we have? I will provide. You'll pick up and you will harvest what I provide for you. I want you to learn to rely on me. I want you to learn what it means for me to be your God. And so there's this idea of Sabbath and harvest. As a matter of fact, this one started with the idea, obviously, that came with, with the Lord creating the world. And he spent six days in creation, and then he spent one day in rest. And so you need to know that idea of six days and then that seventh day being a day of rest is because seven is the number of completion. It's not this numerology thing where we worship numbers or anything like that. But you need to know in Hebrew, one of the things that happens is numbers come up regularly, and they mean things. Seven is the number of completion. It's the number of enough. It's the number of being finished. Because when God created for six days on the seventh day, he said, enough. Completion. It's good. And so he's trying to teach his people, you'll work for six days, and then I'll say, enough. Completion. Now, you harvest what I have provided for you. And it's not just on every seventh day. 
It happens in a year, too. So Leviticus 25, 2 through 4 says a Sabbath year. Speak to the Israelites and say to them, when you enter the land, I'm going to give you the land itself must observe a Sabbath to the Lord. For six years sow your fields, and for six years prune your vineyards and gather their crops. But in the seventh year, the land is to have a year of Sabbath rest, a Sabbath to the Lord. Do not sow your fields or prune your vineyards. He says the land will have a rest, but really what he's doing is he's giving a rest to his people. So he says, for six years, you're going to plant crops, you're going to prune crops, you're going to work on these crops, but on the seventh year, you're not going to do that. Well, this is not just the day anymore. What are we going to eat for that year? What are we going to be able to do? How will we survive a whole year where we do not work the land and we don't work the crops? And the way that he describes it later in Scripture is he says, you need to know in the sixth year, I'm going to give you enough for that year, for the seventh year, and for you to start up on the eighth year as you begin again. I will provide for you. You are going to harvest what is not your labor. You instead are going to live off of, you're going to eat, you're going to glean what I provide for you. This will not be your work. It'll be mine. And so there's this idea again of Sabbath and harvest. You're going to rest and you're going to learn to rely on me for a whole year this time. And that's something that you're going to be able to do on and on every seven years. Now, we're going to go even further. There's something else called the year of Jubilee. This is when the math starts getting advanced. So get out your calculators for this. This is the year of Jubilee. And it talks about this in Leviticus 25, 8 through 10. Count off seven, seven Sabbath years. Seven times seven years. So that the seven Sabbath years amount to a period of 49 years. Then have the trumpet sounded everywhere on the tenth day of the seventh month. On the day of atonement, sound the trumpet throughout your land. Consecrate the fiftieth year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. So now what he's talking about is every seventh Sabbath year, which is every seven years, there will come a fiftieth year. And on the fiftieth year, you'll have a year of jubilee. This will be a year of freedom. This will be a year of rest. This will be the year where you get the land redeemed. Now, here's the way that this works, is if you had sold some land during that time because you needed the money because you couldn't survive, and this land that had been given to you by God, you had to sell it, then what happens is in the year of Jubilee, you get to go back and that land is redeemed back to you. You get it given back. You get your birthright given back to you. And another thing that would have happened is if, if I'm having a hard time and my crops aren't coming in and I'm, uh, I can't pay for my family and we're not able to eat and I'm having a hard time, then what I could do is I could sell me and my family into arts work and I could go to work for art with my whole family. And he would maybe pay us a wage uh, of, of hired hands. But on the year of Jubilee, I get to go back and I get to redeem my land and I get to take that back. And he sets me free. And even if I had to sell myself as a slave into a foreigner, then even after that, on the year of Jubilee, I get to be set free. There's this sense of freedom that happens in the year of Jubilee. This 50th, this 50th year. And there's this great connection if you talk to rabbis and the way that they saw this. And I know I'm doing a lot of history here. Here's what I want to get you to. There's this idea that this 50th year is tied so much to this day of Pentecost. There's a reason God chose Pentecost, the 50th day. This day where you make sacrifice, where you remember to bring the first fruits of your harvest, where you remember to rest. The reason the disciples were all together, it was a day of rest. So they were all there together in that room, resting, not doing their usual work. There's this connection between Sabbath 
and harvest that the Lord keeps bringing up over and over again. It's a time of redemption. This seven being the number of completion. Let me show you how this looks if you got that next slide there. So this is what it looks like. So every seven days you get a Sabbath day of rest for you. Every seven years you get a Sabbath year of rest for the land. And then every seven Sabbath years you get a year of jubilee for all of it. Does that make sense? It's kind of crazy, isn't it? All that math. But what it adds up to more than anything is the Lord starting to build this new pattern for you. Setting you free from the pattern that we've had of work, gather, and consume. And he's saying, that's what your life with me is not going to be about. See, this world says that you live off your effort. Everything that you put into this land, you're going to get out of this land. And the more you put in, the more that you will get out. Unless something awful happens like a famine or there's no rain or anything like that, and something you don't have control of, and then you go hungry. And instead, what the Lord is doing is saying, this is not going to be you harvesting your own work. There's a new pattern of rest and reliance on me and repentance to me. That's what comes through this 50th. That's what happens on Pentecost. And that's what he's doing right here in the birth of his church. He says, I've been training you and I've been showing you something for generations. I've been showing you with that Sabbath all the time, over and over and over again. You'll harvest, but it won't be your work. It'll be something I give you. It'll be something free. It'll be my grace, and it'll be my mercy. And that's what you'll have on that day. You will harvest what I give you. You will harvest what I've provided. He wasn't just teaching them about farming. He's teaching them about life with God. Jesus was always doing that. He was always showing them that you're not going to harvest the fruit of your own labor, but you're going to harvest the fruit of my labor, what I'm going to do for you. It wasn't just manna that was from the ground. If you start thinking about that, they would eat the fish when they caught the nets full of fish that they did not catch. Instead, this is what Jesus provided for them. The baskets full of bread that the Lord uh, provided when he was feeding the 5,000. You did not bake these. It's this constant thing of going, this is not your work. This is something that I give to you. This is a grace to you. And now on the day of Pentecost, this complete rest has come in the completed work of Jesus. That's what's different. I'm going to teach you about a salvation that you did not earn in any way. I'm going to teach you about my church where it's not about your work. Instead, it's about my grace. We, we live in a world that says you are what you harvest. And if you don't harvest much, it's because you didn't plant well, you didn't till the ground well, and you didn't work hard. And here's the problem is that if we aren't careful, our walk with God and our relationship can, with God can become the same thing. We start thinking, I get out of it what I put into it. No, you don't. You get out of it what Jesus put into it. That's the great message in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The pattern that you plant and that you work and you receive the result of your own labor is how the world works. And it's oftentimes the way religion works, but it's not the way that Jesus works. And it's not the life that he has for us. It's about enough. That number seven coming again, the seven days, the seven years, the 50th, it's about enough. It's about rest. It's about completion. On that day, the church that is Christ's was born. His church. And what he's doing is telling us more than anything, this is how your church will function, my church. This is how 
Jesus' church will function, what it was born that day. And sometimes we don't realize what it is. We're still going, is it a boy or a girl or what is it? And he's trying to explain it to us. It's not a denomination that was born that day. It's not a new set of traditions. It's not a new set of rules. It's not a new law. He didn't hand out a new songbook. He didn't give out New Testaments. And he didn't give a church sign that says Church of Christ to everybody. That's not what happened. You need to know. That name, Church of Christ, for those of you that grew up in our heritage and that are part of our tribe, you need to know that is descriptive. It is not prescriptive. In other words, it does not come from a set of rules. It's descriptive. What are we? We're a church of people that belongs to Jesus. That's who we are. Even our restoration movement that has that name, the Church of Christ, came from the idea of going, we're throwing all of these other traditions and things away, and all we're going to do is be a church of people that belongs to Christ. That's who we are. It's descriptive. There is no Church of Christ way in that way. There's only the way of Christ. That's it. That's what we do. What we can't do is be thinking that what we plant is good works and right worship, and then we harvest a good standing with God. It doesn't work that way. What we harvest is what God has given us. It's not through our own works. Now, let me tell you, I don't want to knock the Church of Christ. I love the Church of Christ. I was born into it. I've lived my whole life in it. Let me tell you some things that I really love about the Church of Christ. One is we have a high regard for the Lord's Supper. One of the things, if you haven't been here with us before, every week, we're going to stop, we're going to take the bread, and we're going to take the cup, because what we want to do is we want to remember, this is why we're here. This matters to us more than anything, because here's the thing, if the body wasn't given, and the blood wasn't shed, and there wasn't a resurrection, then none of this means anything. There's no reason for us to do any of it. So it's the center, in so many ways, of everything that we do. But the act of remembering and how we do it cannot be our identity. Lest we become a people who use it as a checkbox to say, well, I came and I did what I was supposed to, and now I can leave. We cannot take it and make it to where we are overly fixated on the remembering even more than the remembered and what we are remembering. I'm not redeemed because how I remember, but I remember because I am redeemed. Amen. And we cannot get that wrong. Amen. It's a time to remember what he did. And we don't get to point at ourselves about how we are remembering correctly or not correctly. This is about how he gave his sacrifice for us. And I think in all of these things, you can hear the voice of Christ saying, rest. As you take this, you rest. Rest in what I have done. The completion that I have worked. The power and the meaningfulness of this is in his actions, not in ours. That's what we get to remember. Let me tell you something else that I love about our brotherhood. We have a high regard for scripture. The word of God is very important to us. We love learning it. We love memorizing it. We love knowing it. And we have such a wonderful focus on the word. But if there's one thing I need to make sure that we remember, that we all need to make sure that we remember, is it's a means, and it's not an end. The Scriptures are not the Savior. They tell us of the Savior. And if we're not careful, we can become scripturally strong, but spiritually weak. It's Jesus' death that cleanses us. It's Jesus' resurrection that we share in, and it's Jesus that we rely on. The Scripture proclaims it, but it didn't do it. Jesus did it. 
And you need to know, even if nobody ever wrote it down, it still happened. Jesus still lived. He still died. He was still resurrected, no matter what. We cannot overemphasize the proclaimer over the proclaimed. It's Jesus that we rely on. Let me tell you something else I really appreciate about our, our brotherhood. We have a high regard for baptism. You're going to see that. When we have somebody who says, hey, I'm ready to give my life to Christ, I'm ready to drop everything and go become a follower, we'll stop everything to have a baptism. We'll do it in the middle of church. We'll do it right here at the end. You need to know, we think it is so important. We make a big deal out of it because Jesus made a big deal out of it. Amen. He told us before he left, you go make disciples. You baptize them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It is vital to us. But we need to remember, it's not baptism that saves us. It's the shed blood of Christ that saves us. Amen. Baptism is how we enter into that. It's the shed blood of Christ, and it's the empty tomb that gives it any significance. Otherwise, it's playing in the water. It is Jesus and his sacrifice and his work that makes it mean anything. We cannot confuse the wedding ceremony with the groom. We're remembering the groom. We're participating with the groom. We're getting married to the groom. It's Christ that makes us his bride, nothing else. It's important that we remember what was born on that day. The Holy Spirit did not give birth to a new set of rules or a new law that would be our guardian, as Paul called it. Remember, he talked about the law. The law will be your guardian. It will be your guardian for a while until Christ comes and you have faith in Jesus. And then you'll be sons and daughters. And then you'll be free in every single way. Can you imagine how hard it would be is if he came up and on Pentecost goes, hey, give me back that set of law. Here's a new law and a new set of rules. The frustration that would happen with people going, I couldn't even get the first one right. I never got it right. I was never able to obey in every single way. All it did was show me my shortcomings. All it did was show me where I fall. All it did was show me my need for a Savior. And then if the Savior came along and goes, Here, well, here's a new set of rules. Hope you can get these right. What a frustration. What a life that would not be lived in any sort of freedom, but one in which we were constantly exalted, exhausted and constantly trying to figure out whether we've done enough. We would never know whether or not we've accomplished what we need to. And that's not what's happening on Pentecost. It's not what he was trying to do. He was instead saying, while you are here on this day of rest, you're doing no regular work because that was commanded, I want you to remember the day that the word was given. By the way, the word, what we call Jesus in a lot of ways. Redemption was made, people are set free, and a great harvest of 3,000 people came to the faith that day. And it wasn't because of the work that they did. Instead, it was because of the complete work of Jesus Christ. No one got to point to themselves on the day of Pentecost and go, we're having this great harvest because we did it right. Instead, what happened is all of these people gathered up 3,000 new followers, and it was a harvest that we did not work for, but instead one that was given to us by our Savior. We rest in the completed work of Christ. Now, you need to know, that doesn't make it easy. It's hard. It's hard to rest in the complete work of Jesus. It's hard to trust in what he says. It's hard to follow him completely because that's part of the deal. To rest, you got to follow. You got to be right next to him. And that doesn't mean it's always easy. We're always hanging on to things that make us feel more secure in this world. We're always hanging on to the things that make us feel we're in right standing. And there is nothing outside of the finished work of Christ 
that puts you in good standing with God. This is how the church that belongs to Christ will be built. This is how it started on the day of Pentecost. It's not how well we follow the rules. It's not how we worship or organize ourselves. We are not gathering what we have grown. We get to gather something that our Savior has grown for us. He's even talked like that, like a kernel of wheat that falls to the ground and dies and then grows up into this new harvest of salvation that we all belong to that includes all those who believe. We gather what we have not labored for. That's the good news. There's no good news in going out and only being able to gather what I have worked for. It'll never be enough. It will never satisfy. It will never give us any sort of rest. This is the foundation for all that we do. The completed work of Christ. When we belong to him, it's what fills us in every single way. There is nothing else, there's no tradition, there's no set of rules that can withstand the weight of the freedom in Christ that he's given us outside of the completed work of God. And it includes being enough for us, setting us free from our own self-righteousness if we grab hold of, or self-loathing when we can't do enough, and even those outside. Let me tell you, this is such good news, but it's so hard for us to grasp constantly. Because rest and harvest is not the way our world works. Instead, harvest comes from work. And so it's very difficult for us to grasp hold of this in every way. But I want you to know that if you've been one who's been raised in such a way where you always wonder, am I doing enough? Am I in right standing? Can I be sure of my relationship with Christ? I want more than anything for us to remember what happened on Pentecost is this idea that we get to turn our eyes to the birth of a church that is based on the work of Christ, not on our own work. Amen. And let me tell you something else. If you're here and you haven't yet made this decision to belong to Christ, if you haven't yet made this, you need to know that a huge part of the year of Jubilee, of Sabbath, in every single way, in Sabbath years, is in Leviticus 23, 22. It says, when you reap the harvest of your land, which God provided, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Instead, leave them for the poor and the foreigner residing among you. I am the Lord, your God. What that means is not only will I provide enough for you, I will provide enough for everyone. That's what the corners mean in this. You can gather and be filled in every way of the grace and the mercy of Christ. And there's still more. There is still more. If you don't know Christ, if you have not made that decision yet to belong to him, you need to know he's made enough for you. There's enough grace. There's enough mercy. He paid that price. That death, that blood that he shed is enough for all of us. But that rest only comes with him. There's no other way. There's no religious formula. There's no sort of rules that you can follow. There's no way that you will find rest outside of the complete work in what Jesus has already done for us. As we close out today, if I can, can I get you to stand where you are? We're going to close out with a prayer. And we're going to spend some time in prayer. And we want to invite you to this. And we want you to know the invitation is here for all sorts of things. One is if you haven't come to Christ and you would like to do that, if you search for that rest that he's provided, that idea of there being rest and a harvest of things that you didn't work for, come find us. We'll be right out here. Elders will be around. I'll be right back here. You can come find me right here. I would love to tell you about it. We would love to show you what it means to belong to Christ in every way. In addition to that, if you are one that has been raised in such a way where you go, I don't feel like I've ever 
ever gotten rest. I don't feel like I've ever been able to trust in this. Then come and pray. If you've got uh, confession you want to make, if you've got praise that you would like to have, if there's any sort of prayer that you need with one another, uh, we invite you to pray with each other or to come find us. This prayer is for healing in every single way. I'm going to pray for us and we're going to sing a few songs. Holy God, we thank you so much uh, for the birth of your church. And Lord, we need to remember it is your church that was born that day. It is not uh, our efforts. It is not our formula. It is not our way of putting things together. None of this that we do in here matters at all if it doesn't come from our heart of trying to honor you and what you've done. Lord, we rest in your work. You were the one that lived a perfect life. You were the one that kept the law perfectly. You were the one that shed pure blood. You were the one that allowed your body to be broken for us. And so, Lord, what we ask more than anything is we come to find our rest in you. Lord, for those of us who... Uh, have walked this journey in this world without you. I ask that you would pierce their hearts right now uh, and that they would come to you in every way. For those of us that need to be healed, Lord, we ask that you would heal us during this time. Give us comfort and give us peace in your work. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.